The following program was produced by Community Producer. The content, views, and opinions expressed are the sole responsibility of the Community Producer and do not reflect Malden Access Television, the City of Malden, or your cable provider. MATV welcomes your comments. Call us at 781-321-6400 or email us at access at matv.org. Hello, and welcome to Malden 02148. I'm your guest host this evening, Ed Lucy, and my guest is Michelle Bucci Luong. Yes. And we have a lot to talk about because she wears more than one hat, but I, maybe just kind of start off since that's a big converse of, uh, topic of conversation. You, you're a real estate broker. I'm actually a real estate agent. Agent. Yep, and I work for Trinity Real Estate. We are located at 339 Pleasant Street in Malden, the old Sprague Funeral Home. And it's big and beautiful old Victorian home. Um, and, you know, it's wonderful. I have two great broker owners. They're having a new open house on September 25th. If I can plug that a little bit from 12 to 2, we invite the um, community to come down and visit us. And it's the same great agents, same great broker owners, full service agency. It's wonderful. And um, now the, uh, the, the former name, is that a franchise kind of situation? Correct. The, we did. Um, they did, in fact, um, start a new agency, dropping um, a brand. So, um, and that really was just truly being able to be more of a boutique agency, which gave us the ability to um, do more for our um, clients and offer them more and have more flexibility for us. So, it really in more of just bringing us back to into Malden community in a stronger way. Now, Trinity was is it's a standalone business in Malden. Correct. Do they have any other any other offices? No, but we actually have agents that service all the way up to New Hampshire, to I the see. New Hampshire border, all the way out to into Western Massachusetts, yeah. and it, you know all the way into the South Shore yeah. as well. So, yeah. now you've been involved in real estate for a number of years. Um, actually, eleven years. I started where I actually my first and I've only worked for Joan Duggan and Ronnie Pouzon as broker owners. So yeah. I walked into their agency one day and said, can I have a job? And they said, absolutely. Yeah. So it was great. Yeah, they've been the, wonderful to work for. And they didn't say, you, uh, there's this typewriter, start working that right nope. away? No, 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 just, no, no. no. <laughs> well, uh, you know, the the real estate business has undergone a tremendous change in the in the recent months, the last couple of years, I yeah. guess. Uh, you talk to people, it's a great situation for people that are selling. And yes. it's, a, it's a traumatic experience i think for us and you've i know had some you know, situations that have been like this where the people uh, make multiple offers on different properties and sometimes offering more than the listed price and they don't get the house or there's, there's some other glitch that occurs and uh, mm -hmm. so it's kind of a roller coaster effect if you're a, a seller and in some ways being a, uh, a a bigger roller coaster if you're a buyer because with the absolutely with the, with the um, the seller, their problem is which which offer do I take? Even though sometimes 
the broker advised you that handling the listing or whatever suggests that maybe the top offer isn't as good as a lesser offer, but a, so right. a more solid buyer. Correct. So, you know, Malden has seen a huge influx. Even in the last year, I have some numbers. You know, single-family houses have been up, sold, year-to-date sold, um, 11%, up from 2020 to 2021. Uh, condos are up 4%. And multifamily, two-family houses up 21% over 21%. And then, you know, it, it's we're truly still in a seller's market. So when you're a listing agent, fantastic. When you're a buyer's agent, you have to, you know, you have to just prepare your buyers. Your buyers have to put their best foot forward and however that, what they feel comfortable with. And uh, that's what you do. Yeah. So I found it interesting. I read an article not too long ago where even though the prices have escalated considerably, as you just indicated, Correct. that the, the people that are applying for property to purchase are... A solid buyers on paper, they have full down payments, 20%. It isn't right. like uh, 2008 and 2009, mm -hmm. where maybe if you'd get in the business then, you wouldn't have stayed in the business exactly. because it was a terrible time. Right. Uh, foreclosures, depressed, depressed market, right. lots and lots of listings, but not a lot of prospects for, to buy. But right. the people that are coming in your office now to buy, they're, they're solid in a lot of Absolutely. instances. So very solid. First-time home buyers, and there's a lot of banks and a lot of mortgage companies out there, and a lot of um, institutions that have great first-time home buyer programs that make it, you know, it, it makes it easier for the buyer, you know, to come into the market a bit. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, you know, this market, this market isn't for the faint of heart. It really is. You have to, you know, as an agent, you have to do your homework with your buyers and educate them and and walk them through the whole process. You know, it's from beginning to end to the closing table. And you have to, you know, you have to walk them right through to the end, and that's what you do to, you know, you work in the best interest of your client, um, either if you're selling or buying. But it's really walking it, doing the whole thing. It's not about just getting the offer signed and then, all right, we're done. No, it's really not about that. It's really about making sure that they understand every step of the way exactly what's going on. Uh, are the people you're seeing coming in, are the people you're dealing with, are they selling and buying or are they first-time buyers? Both. They are? Both. Yep, both. Yeah. We have a lot of people that are selling. They're done. They, you know, they want to downsize, which is which is fantastic. Um, and then we have somebody that's decided they've rented for so long. Um, they're coming in from Boston. They don't want to play pay Boston prices anymore. So you know they're going to come in and they're coming into Malden. Malden has had a huge, huge turnaround just in our downtown alone with the new city hall and and all the development that we've done. And that's really caught the eye of a lot of professionals. Yeah. Do you have? Um uh, people that uh, uh, do you deal with people that are uh, not buying but are renting in your office? We do. Yeah. We do. We do. And again, those prices have gone up as well. Yes, they have yeah. significantly, significantly. Yeah. So yeah, we know we also do rentals as well, both both commercial and residential. Right. Yeah. And we also do residential and commercial sales. Yeah. Well, anyway, the uh, like I said, the, if you've got a listing, you're in great shape. If you're a buyer, like I said, there's there's uh, peaks and valleys that in all yes. all on the same day. Yeah, but uh, it can be inspections. Um, yeah, th that's a. Um, uh, of course, if you went to bed, I was thinking my own experience, and when I first was buying a house, uh, there wasn't a thing you did. You just uh, you went to you looked at a property, you did, had a broker, you didn't have a broker. My first house, uh, not that it's important in this conversation, there was no broker. It was just someone told me about a house because he happened to be uh, a neighbor of someone who was selling a house, and it was just one of those direct things. But there was no inspections, there was no much of anything. And in fact. I can remember walking into the bank branch down in Exchange Street. The bank's not even there any longer, and there's the vice president sitting in the lobby at a desk, no private office, and 
Right. Walked over, introduced myself, and uh, he asked me if I was related to the Lucys from the Hibernian, and I said no, <laughs> and then we went from there. So it was kind of a, a it isn't like that at all anymore. There's lots wow. of there's lots of steps along the way. There is, and it's a lot about educating your buyer. Um, and when you and I'm, I'm a firm believer that once you give people all the information they need, they can make educated decisions. Yeah. You know, for an inspection, no inspection. That's completely up to the buyer and what the buyer feels comfortable with. But I think it's really important for you know real estate agents, and as we are trained, to make sure that we you know train, we help, and we educate our buyers so they know exactly you know what they're looking at and what their options are. Yeah. I, um, I you mentioned inspections and I did as well, but uh, the, this kind of a, a, a subject that, for debate because um, the article I recently read suggested that um, if you're buying, not to do a, a, an inspection is uh, is a buyer beware, caviar emptor. In other words, when you walk in that door mm-hmm. after you've passed papers and you haven't done the inspection, Whatever complications after that, you don't have really have much legal grounds to to go back to the former owner because you've had an option that you waived that inspection. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And um, but you find that some of your sales now are without inspection. No, a lot of my buyers. Um, I have a lot of first-time home buyers. Um, so, but I also work with developers. So for me, it's it's two different realms. My developers that are buying properties and then rehabbing them and then selling them again, they're more apt the developers, the big construction guys, they're more apt to waive the home inspection because they know what they're looking at. First-time home buyers and people that are buying to keep the homes, you know, I can't make that decision for them. That's a personal decision they have to decide. But I've had pretty much, I've had a large amount that have opted for inspections. They want the inspection. They want the inspections. And has that impeded sometimes the the, uh, sale because they've got offers from other people who waive the inspection? So Yes. even if the price is close to what the buyer is looking for or seller is looking for, right. the inspection makes a difference to the seller because obviously that expedites the sale. Right, and you know, and this is where it comes down to you know what the buyer feels comfortable with. Yeah. They have to know what their options are, and some buyers, absolutely not. You know, I have some buyers that are like, we want an inspection. We talk to people. It's generational. You know, they have family that's purchased. Um, and they're like, no, we absolutely have to have an inspection. And, and I can't have an opinion either way. I can just give them the information, and then they make the opi- they make their decision. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, when you're not um, dealing with the real estate, <laughs> you're wearing another hat, uh, which is the uh, president of Zonta. I am the president of the Zonta Club of Malden. And, and um, We've been in Malden for over 91 years. I was just going to ask you a little bit of a background, maybe yeah. to educate the public now. Yeah. Uh, uh, your tendency is what's the profile of a typical member of the Zonta? Ah, we're a professional women's group. So what we do is we actually raise women and children's issues through service and advocacy throughout Malden and the surrounding area. One of our big hot button things right now for advocacy is um, the Child Marriage Act looking to pass that at the state level, um, which would which would make um, marriage for children for girls and boys under 18, illegal is what we're hoping to have happen. And what is the law now? <laughs> so currently, Malden does not, Malden, um, Massachusetts does not have a minimum age. A parent can, in fact, sign off on a 12-year-old to be married with the parent consent yeah, going s- before the court. Yeah, I saw an article. I think, it, if I'm not mistaken, it might have been North Carolina. You, get married, you can get married at 14 legally. Yep. Now, I don't know. It didn't seem to suggest that... The, that you required an adult 
permission, but so they were talking about changing the law in that state. But right. uh, interesting, under under um, 18, which is th in theory the age of, of consent, Adult. Right. Uh, you can get married in Massachusetts with or without a parent. With the parent, with parental consent. Yeah. And the problem that we have is that most people say, well, but you have to think about it. If a child gets married, at, I believe last summer or during COVID, we had a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old in the state married. Um, a girl, two girls? A girl, two girls, and they were married to older men in their 20s. And the, But the problem I think that people have to understand is that um, when these children are married, they're not, they're not automatically emancipated. So their husband or wife whoever it may be, is now their guardian. So they, they can't go to a homeless shelter. They can't get a restraining order. They can't file for divorce. They can't have their own bank account. They can't ask for help. They can't, they can't do anything because now they're at the mercy of their guardian, who's their spouse, or their parent is still somehow involved, and they have no choices. That's, that's the, the biggest issue with being married under the age of 18 in the state of Massachusetts. Now, is there a law uh, pending in the legislature to change that? There is, both in the Senate and in the and in the um, state and in the rep House of Representatives. Is we almost the state, the Senate, the House, the Senate passed it last last um, session. Last session, it passed the Senate, hundred um, percent, and then it did not come to the floor in the in the House. We were hoping it would, and it did not. So this time around, we're hoping that it clears through both hurdles. We need for it to come out of both committees and go to the floors of both um, and get to the governor's desk. Okay, so it's, it's in both in, at both bodies, it's in the committee? It's in committee. Yeah. Uh, I've had a little bit of experience in the legislature. One of the things that happens is um, a lot of the major issues, and sometimes they're also controversial in nature, right. aren't acted on because they go through stages. For instance, at the beginning of the year, Mm -hmm. There's little being done because you have to, f you have to start off forming the committees, right. and then all the bills that have been filed around the before the first of the year are then have to be printed up. Then they have to go to a committee. Mm -hmm. Then they have to go to a hearing, right. and in some instances there may be a, a version in the Senate that's different from the House version. Correct. And uh, in the process, it, then the big big. Uh, Priority is is the budget, which is right. say April and May, and into June, and sometimes unfortunately into July. Even though the the budget year starts July first, so the result is that's the focus. Then once you get the budget behind you, for the most part, the legislature isn't doesn't do much until after Labor Day. So there's there's those are the rush to do a lot of work, right. and then there's there's lulls and there's there's breaks. And the point I'm trying to get at is that uh, when the session ends at the end of the year, there used to be a rule in place that if you didn't act on the bill that was filed in January and had the hearing and went through the process, you would have to recycle the whole thing all over again. Correct. Now in the second year of the session, you can pick it up for where, where it was left off before. But the, the, the other thing that's kind of interesting is when you have a Senate version and a House version, if they differ, then you have to have a committee of the two branches get together and agree on one one. Right form and then you have the vote right. the result is when you get towards the end of the session sometimes well worthwhile projects are put in hold because they don't get to them they run out of time right. and there was a I don't know if they do this anymore but at one time because everything was rushed at the last minute um, they would stop the clock because at midnight oh. of the last day you couldn't you couldn't do anything past that so they wouldn't let the clock run oh 
So that's how that's how the state <laughs> legislature acted, and of course, right. sometimes the bills that were passed were were weren't in the version that was originally started. In some instances, maybe there were mistakes made that unfortunately weren't weren't uh, noticed until after the bill was enacted, or the governor might have signed it, or at least he had a chance right. to veto it, so it didn't go yeah. anywhere. But getting back to that one issue, that's interesting. I wasn't aware of that uh, complication. Yep. So. You have people getting married. They, when someone this past year get married at 14? Yep. Still 14. married? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> check them out, check yeah. about five years. I don't know whether you, you'll yeah. find that status mostly, is the same. Mostly yeah. they're not. Mostly it, you know, it ends in divorce or then ends in the, in the girl or boy, for that matter, whoever the minor is, um, not having an education, not having um, goals and being able to stunt their, you know, their growth as a person. Yeah. And one of the things, you know, we can bring it back to Zonta, and one of the things that we're very heavily with is food insecurity. So, you know, Zonta still works with um, WIC, and they do the mobile food market the second Saturday of the month. It's a bit changed up now because of COVID, so we've had to have, they've had to have some COVID um, precautions. So, um, you know, the food is then delivered. And, you know, they also have been working on um, just representing what's powerful about um, being a woman. And, and one of the things that we did last year that I thought was just wonderful was honoring the um, United Nations Day of the Girl Child, October 11th. So and in Malden, it was declared October 11th as Day of the Girl Child. And it was really nice to watch us celebrate all of the women from Malden's past that have affected how we are as a community. So I thought that that was, that was really important. So we'll continue that tradition. There's other things that we're advocating for. Um, we have a service group that's going to be um, there heavily into different service projects. We have a younger version for the girls in high school called Z Club, and that's really been wonderful. It's been a lot of our um, members are able to mentor some of these young high school girls and middle school girls to you know, work and to be service and to be service-oriented. Um, so that's already been really exciting for us. Now, uh, there's other Zonta clubs in Massachusetts, other Malden. There are. We have them. We have several. We have one in Chelsea and Medford, um, Springfield, um, Southampton, all across. And what was really, what was really um, very cool about Zonta itself is that when we were looking to have um, the speaker, DeLeo, um, bring the bring the child marriage act to the floor the last session, um, one of the things we did was that we organized, we put the call out to Zonta, and as a district. We got together and had every single Zonta club on a Zoom meeting, you know, with our speaker, um, asking him um, to please, you know, put this to the floor. And who spoke at ours was our governor of our district, who's in Halifax, who's in Nova Scotia, Halifax, Canada. And she spoke eloquently, um, Beatrice Shorey, um, on the importance of, you know, outlawing this. It, child marriage is actually, it's a global initiative for Zonta International. So it was really profound that we as a club, when we looked at the Massachusetts law, it was really, you know, five years, four or five years ago, we looked and were just in disbelief that this was even still on the books. And so you're a national club or an interna international? International. And international. what other countries are you have groups? Oh, my goodness, everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. Through South Africa, through Europe, through everywhere. Yeah. China and Asia. Yeah, if if you had someone in in this area, and again, you don't even though it's a Malden-based club, you don't have to be from Malden. No, you quote. do not. But okay. if you had someone that might be interested in in, in giving some of their time to a worthwhile sure. group, what's what's the kind of person that would make members uh, attracted to you, and you attracted to the member? Someone who has a heart, yeah. someone who wants to, who really wants has a heart and a passion 
to move women's issues forward. And, you know, one of the things we always say in Zonter is when you're asked to serve, you serve enthusiastically. And it's true, and it's just a passion. It's a passion you have to help people. It's a passion to move your community forward. And, you know, one of the things that we all talk about is that as we all personally advance in our careers and our lives, it's very important to turn yourself around, put your hand out, and pull someone up with you. It doesn't take two minutes but to be nice. It doesn't take but two minutes to really make an effect, an effect to change in someone's life. And that's what really, truly what we're about. Yeah. And you still meet Thursdays? The first and third Thursday of every month. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if anybody's interested, you can reach out to zontamalden.org or the Zonta Club of Malden at gmail.com. Reach out. We are doing a membership event on September 30th, so there's more information that will come out about that. Visit us on Facebook as well. We have a Facebook page. Love to hear from people. And your meetings are uh, in the evening? Correct. They start at 6. And the location? Um, currently, we're at Anthony's. Anthony. We're, at, we're at Anthony's. We have different, we have a business meeting and a social meeting. So our, all our business meetings are at Anthony's, and so it would be nice. And we're also trying to um, have a Zoom component, given the COVID. We met during COVID. We met during Zoom, on Zoom, during the COVID, the first initial here year of COVID. So we're looking to have, to try and have that um, component along to our business meetings as well. We'll do what we can to make that happen. So your, your September 30th meeting is an in-person meeting? Um, we're not sure. That's what we're, we're looking at the current COVID numbers to see if that's how that's going to um, play out. I see. Now, you have uh, the Key Club. Is mm -hmm. that what you call it for the younger members? Z Club. Oh. Z Club, yep. And, and uh, so those would be the high school students? Middles, we actually go 8th um, eighth grade, eighth grade and up, so 8 through 12. 8 through 12. Yep. And they come to your meetings? They will occasionally, you know, every other month come to our meetings. Um, they have their own projects they work on. Every February, the last two Februaries, they've actually done a teen dating violence awareness night where they've had their, their speaker is um, D.A. Marion Ryan, and she usually outlines exactly what her program is for teen dating violence and really talks about all the dangers of domestic violence as well. We've had the silent witness um, there as well. That's the representation of who's passed away from domestic violence that year. Um, and, uh, who, I'm sorry, who was that you had? We had DA Marion Ryan, and then we've also okay. done the Silent Witness program, which is when um, we reach out to um, some of the domestic violence um, places, and they give us the list of the victims, the poor victims of domestic violence that had occurred over that year, calendar year, and their story. And then what it's really, it's so profound, and it's really so impactful, um, because then you, you hear, all you hear is a voice, and you hear just a silhouette of a person, and you hear that person's story. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a member of the Lions, for those people in the listening audience uh, unaware of that. And uh, we also met at Anthony's for a long time, the first and third Thursday, which would be the same night as the Zonta meeting. Yes. And um, I do recall that one of the things that was rather interesting, there's a there's a broad spread among the members of the the, the women's group in terms of you have younger women, middle-aged women, and then you have some citizens and residents, and former residents of Malden yeah. who have been re mem members a long time, but uh, they yes. are of an older age. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah. We've had members 45 years, 50 years. Yeah. Um, and that's not their age. That's the longevity no, that, of it. <laughs> that's how long they've committed. They've, they've, they've stayed committed to Zonta, which has been amazing. Yeah. And, and it's honestly, it's it's their knowledge and their experience that it that has, you know, really – made such a difference for us, especially with new people coming in. Yeah. 
Well, anyway, so you are you have an, an interest in new members if there's people out there listening who think they might be interested in and uh, and for for a long time we only had male members, but eventually the Lions uh, changed that for for um, they do have women members as well, mm-hmm. but the Zantras is a women's club. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was going to make a, uh, a, p- a public announcement at the beginning of the meeting, but we had some glitches to deal with with the, uh, with the computer system and, the, and, the, and whatever here. So I just wanted to maybe at this point mention what I was going to talk about to open the meeting. I, I received in the mail, and I've mentioned this one at least one other occasion in the past, and, and this was a notice from the post office indicating that they have openings for employment. And they're looking for people who qualify to to join the uh, the, the ranks of the of the male male men and male women and post office employees, and um, it's that it's really kind of a, t- a good time for people if the, uh, that may be interested at all because number one, it's been advertised and notified in the newspapers and on television. This past Monday was the last end of the. It was the end of the unemployment checks that there were came with, came with the um, the federal programs to subsidize people income. So there's a lot of people in in this state as well as across the country who are at, at this point going to find there's a, there's a appreciable drop in their income because they're no mm-hmm. longer going to be getting that check this uh, that we're receiving on on this federal sub stimulus program. And if you're not aware of it, the post office has employment opportunities and so if you're reasonably of age you're in good health or health that could qualify uh, men and women and uh, there is a screening process to be eligible and to qualify but the important thing is um, it's, it's a it's a career position if you're interested and you, and you acclimate yourself to the position it's not an easy job and I think from my observations, even my own neighborhood, the people that deliver the mail don't don't always come back the next week or the next month and the six months later. So they either transfer it, promote it, or maybe they decided they didn't like working in the rain and the snow or whatever. So you're outdoors, but for some people, that's that's a big plus. It's certainly a good chance to get exercise because you won't have to go to the gym if you're in if you work for the the post office. But it has good benefits, and I think if my my recollection is correct, which I mean, that the starting salary is about twenty dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. So, for Massachusetts, that's close to a livable wage. And the um, sometimes there are people that don't have a lot of formal education, but they're bright enough to do whatever they're asked to do and whatever they want to do. So, uh, all it takes is if you think it's something that might fit your interest, and you and you think that it's something you might be interested in doing. Then you can go down to the Marlin Post Office. I'm sure you can go online. You can make an application. You can have yourself uh, evaluated to see if you qualify for the initial process, and then at that point you can pursue it further. But the key is, I think you'll find there was a, there's other jobs other than delivering the mail right. because they have clerks that work inside the pro, in the post office. They also have people that have to be, uh, drive the trucks to pick up the boxes of mail that uh, the letters that people have uh, dropped and be delivered to somewhere else. So there's other options within the, in the post office, and you may not start off in that position, but there, are, there would be chances for advancements. And again, I think in this day and age when they talk about a minimum wage, which is $15, which even today some people don't earn, and they may right. do it in Massachusetts, uh, 
$20 or thereabouts to start and opportunities for overtime. So, again, that, that's something I should I think is worthwhile to pursue for some people that think think that they might enjoy doing that kind of work and that uh, you, you, you would find, I think, after a while, if you enjoy talking to people and you're dealing with people, you're doing people a great service when you show up at, the, at their home with letters, maybe postcards from uh, other people, more important, their birthday cards and other yeah. kinds of mail that they enjoy, and maybe once in a while someone gets a check in the mail. So I think it's, again... For some people, especially if you, if your income is now drying up uh, on, on the unemployment level, right. or you maybe have run out already, in which case you haven't really thought about that as an option, look into it. You might find out it it's something you'd enjoy doing, and you'd find out it's a worthwhile position. Right. Yeah. So now we have an election coming up in uh, November. Yes, we and do. For the most of the city, for those people, uh, just to give you an update, there are no primaries uh, in the city other than in Ward 8, and that that is the uh, city council position. So in September, which in, in Boston's having, uh, and I think even in Boston, the election is next week. Correct. Um, I don't think there's there's a high level of interest. At least I don't see, I, I see the, the the news items and the newspaper, and I hear, the, hear them on the television, but... I think a lot of voters were away for the summer or they were dealing with uh, vaccinations and not vaccinated and, and they're dealing with Correct. COVID and they're dealing now with kids going back to school, some with masks and some without masks. Now they got a chance to focus on a mayor's election in Boston, which is um, an election that um, is re- actually to, to make a permanent mayor as opposed to an appointed mayor. But now in Malden, only the Ward 8, and the reason there's a Ward 8 primary for city council is because there are three people running, the incumbent and two other people. After mm-hmm. September, one person will be eliminated, then there will be two people running in November. Correct. And uh, in some wards, whether it's school committee or it's city council, there's no opposition. So mm-hmm. the whoever's got the position currently is automatically going to be elected in November. Correct. But Michelle is in Ward 7. I am. I, I live am. in Ward 7. And... She lives across the street from me, but that's not the reason why she's on my guest here. And uh, she actually is a niece to Carol Madden, who was my, my partner for over 30 years and yes. had the Cozy Corner Salon in, in, in Maplewood Square. She did. And, but uh, she has, obviously, a resume of her own that justifies your consideration to vote for her in, in November for Ward Council. But you're on the school committee currently. I am. You ran am. two years ago for the first I did. time. I did. And um, when you ran, um, I'm going to ask you two kinds of questions. One is, it's okay. what are the kinds of things you thought were important when you ran two years ago for school committee? Mm. Okay, so two things I really thought were super important was protecting our special education parents and protecting our special education students. Because it's very, as a parent of of um, a daughter who's dyslexic and she's now in college. Um, I saw the fight. It took me, you know, years to get services for her that just shouldn't have taken as long. The other part is I'm also a bully survivor. I'm a bully um, survivor. So for me, that was the other thing that was super important to me was to give parents and victims of bullying a voice and also to make sure that there are policies in place that are specific to helping the victim feel safe. And that was another thing. Those two things were very important to me. And the third was equity. In coming from, and 
born, being, being born and brought up in Ward 7 and living on the same street as I have since I was four, um, I remember when, we, when the Lincoln School was taken down. And I remember the promises made at the time of five new magnet schools. And everybody would have school choice. And then seven years ago, school choice went away. But the problem that happened, Ed, was that how those schools were built never changed. So the people that live in Ward 7, they were now forced to go to two schools, very away in Salemwood, that are not the same in equity-wise in terms of programs and what they offer as the other schools in the city. And so that was super important to me as well, and still is. All three of those are still is. So what I did, did in my time, COVID made it a little difficult, but during my time, um, what's been implemented is an annual special education audit. And how that audit runs is that parents are um, spoken to on a yearly basis. They are not spoken to by their direct program manager or their direct teachers. They're spoken to by people from central office who then audit exactly how their year went. Did your child receive the services? How were your services? How were your meetings? Were they successful? Did your child not receive services they should have received? And that report then on a yearly basis goes right to the school committee. And that's going to happen on a yearly basis. So I did, I did accomplish that along with my colleagues. I don't take credit. It's not a, there's no I in team. <laughs> but I did accomplish that. I did put that paper forward. And the other thing I also put forward was um, reinstating, and I say reinstating, so reinstating the anti-bully task force. And that has been, we've done a ton of work on that. We've realized that there were different policies in different schools or different ways things were done. Um, so that's all being worked out. Our new superintendent is well on board of that. So what's going to be really significant for us is that we should be seeing two things with that. There's going to be policies for the victim, but there's policies for the perpetrator because no parent wants their child to be named a bully. So as a working parent or, or just a parent in general, what do you do when your child is the one that's causing the, inflicting the pain? So there'll be, there'll be social, emotional, and there'll be resources for that parent because no child should be excluded regardless of, of the circumstances. And at the same time, the victim's going to be made safe. So, they, so what's happening to them stops. So there are just two, two things in particular that I, that I worked on. You, you know, you, as, a, as a parent, first of all, you have experiences long before you run for office uh, and connected to the schools. Correct. And uh, I, I think in, in some instances uh, the assumption starts off that uh, you, you send your children to school and, 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 number one, the people that are teaching them are educated, they're qualified, right. They, right. and therefore they, everything's going to be smooth. But in reality, that's not the way it works. In some instances, and I even found out over the years that sometimes uh, – uh, I recall talking to a woman that lived over in the Bell Rock section of Malden, and mm -hmm. she she had a, a job, and she would take her child to uh, to school, and and it, it would end up that uh, she, the school that she was trained, you know, the school choice thing, as you said, right. she ended up over in Salemwood, which meant right. that at that time of the day, she not only drive across traffic to get right. to the school, she right. had to turn around and drive across traffic to I get out of Malden to go to work. It, it was a big problem, and right. and, and legitimately. She made an effort to have this, this, her child transferred to another school, but rules were the rules, and there were no right, vacancies. The right. And the result was that she, the, right. she ended up 
she was stuck there. And I kind of thought at the time there should have been some flexibility and, and there should have right. been some different point of view as right. far as that, that handle. So the, 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 I think sometimes even as a parent, you, what, you fi- what you find out when you get inside the school system, right. and not directly criticizing it, it's just that it isn't the way you thought it was when, you, when you're sitting on the sidelines or watching right. it from a distance. You know, and I, you know, I talked to several parents even back then knocking on doors and, and through my tenure as um, a school committee representative. And still, it's like, you know, when I have people that ask me, I have this problem. You know, can you make a phone call? Can you help me? And I sit back and I and I try and really empower them to be able to figure out how to do it. Them, you know, how do you you know how do you approach the email? You know, putting them in touch with CPAC, which is special education um, group in Malden, and putting them in touch with people that can help to empower them. And I've done that. I've sat down with parents and I've said, okay, if you let's see your email, have you documented? Have you followed the policy and the procedures? And I think that that's what's really significant moving forward in special education is that parents have to feel empowered to be able to fight for their child and what their child needs and the, and the services in which we need to provide for them. The, the, um, the, beyond any of that, sure. the, 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 um, this, the, do you have any idea what the population of the school system is for special needs students? Not at this time. Uh. We've had some fluctuation with COVID. So those numbers I don't I don't have yeah. with me. And, and you mentioned Corvus. Now, mm-hmm. um, this again, when, when you think about it, they talk about this is a new beginning with, with most schools now and across mm-hmm. the state that they have to right. uh, they're going to have full time in in school students. Correct. Is the, the the mask issue has been resolved or not resolved? But in mm-hmm. some misses. But the problem with the um, Corvus wasn't just this past year. It started in March of the prior year. So for almost. On the calendar, it's it's a, it's a, it's really almost a year and, and into another school year, and, and the the, uh, the interaction with kids is a big drawback to the way these kids socialize. Have you found that um, there was a lot of criticism or complaints with people about the child not going to school this past year? Were they looking forward to them back in school in September? I think it's I think that there's there's been a lot of a lot of parents that wish that there was a remote option, which Malden does not have um, a remote option um, at this time. So, um, and I can't speak to that. That would be, you know, transitioning from one school administration to another. But um, what I can say is that, you know, I think most students are happy to be back. I think parents are very concerned. And I encourage any parent that is concerned about their child being in school to reach out to the superintendent and her staff. And, you know, and they will, you know, they will do what they can to make that, that, you know, parent feel safer with their child being in school. We've taken precautions. We've taken um, all the necessary things that, that we have to, to try and keep as many children safe as we can. The, um, the schools themselves in Malden, are they a mask required? Yes. Full-time? Full-time, mask required. Staff and children. And uh, is there some opposition on the part of parents? Not that I've it's seen. Vocal. There's there's been a few. Um, I think the high need special education students have a difficult time with the mask requirements. So I think that that's something um, I know it was spoken to about. It was spoken at our last school committee, one of our last school committee meetings, and and that's being you know worked on at a later you know with a later committee. Nothing that I'm part of. Uh, um, are, the, are the school committee members now meeting in person? Yes, we are. Yeah. Yep. And you got some changes coming there because at least two of the school, current school committee members are not even running. Correct. Correct. And uh, um, Ward um, four and eight. Four and eight. 
Yeah. Correct. And I'm not even sure what for as an opposition. I think maybe whoever's running, running unopposed, possibly. I'm not sure. That's what I'm hearing. She is running unopposed. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting. (laughs) Yeah, she'll be a nice addition. Uh, And I I think. um, Dawn Macklin is her name. It's most unusual in in that. to have an open seat and not only have only have one person running and uh, correct. I don't know if that suggests that the person so overwhelmingly qualified, no one wanted to challenge it, <laughs> or maybe people didn't want to. Bo- Watford is kind of unique anyway, because you know it, it's really kind of split by Main Street, so it's almost like mm-hmm. two different wards meld together yep. for the convenience of, uh, of qualifying legally to have a, a vote. Right. But uh, uh, so now you have an open seat at, at council in Ward Seven. We do. And Miss uh, Anderson, Council Anderson is retiring. Yes. So it lands up with an open seat, and you know I've accomplished a lot that I wanted to accomplish on school committee, but there's still more that I want to accomplish for our ward, and I can really only do that at the city council seat. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and you mentioned uh, you've you've made an effort when you ran for school committee knocking doors, talking Correct. to the people directly, yep. and I think you've been doing the same thing running for council. Uh, one of the things I th- th- that has changed uh, to a great degree, I think, in campaigning for office today, it's mm-hmm. hard to reach people personally because if you do it during the daytime, there's no one home. They they don't sometimes answer the door unless they know right. who's there because they expect the people to Correct. come to them and let them know ahead of time. So I don't think you see as much of that face-to-face opportunity as you did at one time. In the meantime, you have your own schedule to deal with. You're, you're right. a homeowner, among other things, but you're also a career person. You have children in school, and they have obligations. Yeah. So um, <coughs> what kind of things do you talk to people about that they talk to you about? Well, there's been a few things. You know, the problem, I think, or not problems, but Ward 7 is, is just a unique ward. We have, we're economically diverse, culturally diverse. And what's so significant is that as a ward, we require such a large amount of resources, and it's really difficult when we don't receive those resources, from food insecurity to traffic. I mean, traffic, pest control. I mean, those are things just off the top of my list in safety. We've seen, you know, there's there's been shootings and overdoses and and just an abundance of things, and these aren't, you know, secrets, you know. And it lends to... I'm just a firm believer that people need a safe place to work, a safe place to live. I find the traffic um, coming through and the speeding coming through Ward 7 is nobody's following Drive 25, by the way. I don't, I don't see that happening. And, you know, one of the things that I noticed, too, is that, you know, as a city councilor, you have a former city councilor, you set policy, you set budget, but you can't make promises you can't keep. So well, you can make the promises. You, you, right. You can make the promises. <laughs> it's easy. You got to be able to keep them. That's the easy part. <laughs> so for me, I can't promise to, you know, in five years to have all of the streets and roads and sidewalks. They're going to be all manicured. That's an impossible, you know, the last two sets of city councilors couldn't accomplish that. But what I can say is that what I've noticed is that Wood 7 is the, at the bottom of everybody's list from some of the issues at C-Click fixed that have been done recently, which is to the credit of the DBW. But, you know, going forward, we need somebody that's going to just tirelessly be the voice. And I'm that person. I'm, I'm not quiet, <laughs> as you can tell. I'm not quiet. I'm resilient. And I'm going to make sure that Ward 7 gets exactly what Ward 7 deserves and what we need. And that is, that's housing. That's that's food security. That's everything. It's all the things that we need in Ward 7. And, 
it can't just be status quo anymore. It just can't. The um, the city budget um, it's kind of a, 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 a contrast is because um, I get the impression from from my knowledge of whatever I'm reading, whatever particularly with Massachusetts is, mm-hmm. uh, even though the uh, coronavirus has had an impact directly or indirectly on so many people mm-hmm. the 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 fact of the matter budget wise communities have done well they've got a lot of money right. from the state right. they've got um, a lot of federal money that's come to states that can be passed on to communities right. so where sometimes the, the the difficulty is finding the money to do the things that need to be done right. the community seem to be in a position they got the money now they got to use it the way that's best productive use of, for the people right. that, re, that live in the community. And, and again, uh, I guess the, co- the example of that is they, uh, there's a piece in the paper the other day where the lottery has had the, one of the biggest years ever in terms of mm. revenue. And that, of course, suggests to say, gee, people are not supposed to be working. Right. But the revenue streams are coming directly or indirectly, either unemployment, right. other sources. And so even when there has been people out of work, it isn't always that they've... Um, Right. Ended up not being able to manage their lifestyle, and right. and so apparently one indication is that is they're spending as much money or more than they did before in the lottery, and the result is the state is better off money-wise from that source. So you've got the money now. Are there areas that you think that should be directed with some of that money that isn't? I do. I think that you know at first. First thing we need to do, it's easy for me as a potential council person, councilwoman, to come in and say these are our initiatives. We're not the same ward we were five years ago, ten years ago. We have had a different, we have an influx of all different kinds of people. And it's time that we came together as a ward to figure out exactly what we want as a ward. And what are the initiatives that we feel that are important to Ward 7? And not so much what's important to, to every other ward. It's not that I won't work hard for Malden, because I certainly will work hard for Malden, for everybody in Malden, but specifically for Ward 7. You know, we need to protect our parks. We need to protect our waterways. We have to make our community safe. And, you know, I've had a lot of people ask, you know, what's my position with police and um, safety and all of those? And I, and I really firmly believe that we need to come together as a community and bridge those gaps. Quarterly safety meetings, everything. We need to come. Those are the things that make sense. We have to, we have to shore up our infrastructures. You know, we need to figure out why things are happening the way they're happening. You know, why are there no lights on Broadway, on the lower part of Broadway? You know, I was at the planning board meeting when um, they approved the new um, Kentucky Fried Chicken to be coming in. Well, we already have a car wash. Where are they going to be located? Right next to uh, Burger King, where the old Kentucky Fried Chicken used to be in the long Oh, on Broadway. On Broadway. Okay. But the problem is, is that we need lights on Broadway. We need the ability for people, if they're going to go work at the car wash, if they're going to go work at... Kentucky Fried Chicken or Burger King or wherever else they're going to be working, they can safely cross the street. The, the, mad, the pest control in, in, in Ward 7 is, uh, is completely ridiculous in, in 7-2, precinct, Ward 7, Precinct 2. And what area um, is that? That's the Broadway area, Newland oh. Street, um, Harvard Street, Daniel Street, all of those areas. Um, it's, so there's a huge debate amongst the residents. Um, some people want the sewers rebated. Some people say no, they want to protect, you know, the wildlife that would end up, that are natural predators to the rats. So if you poison the rats, then you poison them. So I think those are things that we have, I think it's a difference. We have an immediate need 
to make people safe and comfortable and free of those things, and then we have to plan for our future and plan going forward. For instance, we have two new parks coming. We have two new park construction. Both Kirstead and Tartikoff are going to have, in the next couple of years, have complete revisions. And I've seen the plans, and I've been in on the community meetings for that, which is going to be amazing when those are done. It's going to be such, such um, an increase for our community. Now, where are those parks located? Kirstead is, um, on, is across from, is right across from, um, right next to the Daniels, the old Daniel School. That's Kirstead. And Tartikoff is the skateboard park, which is right at the end of, um, oh, yeah. right on Willow Street. Well, is that what they Both call of, it? Yeah, yeah the yeah. Tartikoff, yeah. So one of the things, you know, we're going to see big renovations for those two parks. And that will be based on grants and, and all of the things. that. And what are they going to add to the, what's already there? So it's really going to be great. So Kirstead, on the other hand, that'll, that is supposed to have a whole um, ADA-compliant playground for children with disabilities. They'll be able to actually go all the way up to some of these structures to the top. And then um, so it's more geared to the younger kids. The baseball field will have a complete um, renovation. And then um, Tartikoff Park will have, um, I believe, the plan that I've seen um, is that they'll do some renovations to the skateboard area as well as adding more of um, a CrossFit type thing, more geared to the older kids. There's been talk, pro or con, you know, they could add a half basketball court. Those, none of the plans have been completely solidified. They've been, um, they're about where they're going to be right now. And Neil Anderson has actually been a really big, um, has really been, him and um, Councillor Steve Winslow have really spearheaded both, both of those projects. No, would they be having some public hearings on those? They should have. They've had several. They've well, they already had, a, had that. They've had, yep, they've had probably about a good two or three yeah. um, to really hash out exactly what that's going to look like. But, um, yeah. Uh, uh, just to, as a side, uh, to show the, the change, in, Malden has always been thought of as kind of a melting pot. Correct. And, yes. um and also, in some ways, it's been a, it's been a community of transition where people come from somewhere else, mm -hmm. and maybe that next generation move on to someone else. But I, I had saved an article, and, and it's not that I've saved it all, but this was this was published in 1995. Now that's mm -hmm. 25 years ago, which in, right. in in terms of a city life is is a long, long time. But at that time, and the, 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 this was written by a local person who used to do a lot of. Uh, uh, reminiscing about mall and past mm -hmm. and present, um, maybe much more detailed than is currently being done in the newspapers. But at that time, thirty-four percent of the city of the people in Malden mm -hmm. identified themselves as being Irish. Thirty-four oh. percent. Mm -hmm. Now, um, they just completed the census in Malden, mm -hmm. and right now, for the first time. The white population of Marlin is less than fifty percent. Mm -hmm. So, if they're less than fifty percent, where were the others? Well, I I had been taught told before, and I and I've, and I've used this figure, which I stand corrected now, that Marlin was over thirty percent Asian, but apparently it isn't quite thirty percent now. It's about twenty five percent. Correct. But it's the highest percentage of, of of Asian people in any one community other than Quincy. You are correct. And Quincy Absolutely. had a. a a, at, a, at a history even before Malden of mm -hmm. encouraging and, and, and having uh, Asian populated people reside in the community. Mm -hmm. So you have 25% um, being Asian, and you also have, uh, which is interesting, is 
multiracial. We were about 5% previously. This was 10 years ago when they did the last sentence. Now right. it's 10%. Well. And I think that really is more, uh, not always just the fact that there's more people identify themselves as multiracial. I think what it is is there were people that didn't before that do now, the same person. You follow me? In other words, I do. at one time they would write down that they were African American, they were white, they were Asian. Mm-hmm. Now there are obviously a, a, a social tr- a tendency of going uh, into people of one culture marrying into another. So now Marlon has a, what appears to be a identifiable 10% of the population is multiracial, mm-hmm. which again has an impact on the school system, I think, as does right. the fact that it's 25% Asian uh, identity. And then one of the things that is, is kind of interesting as well is that the people of color population of Marlin has shrunken. There are less now than there were 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was it was 18% 10 years ago, now it's 14%. But I also think that some of that uh, differences is reflected in the multicultural thing, that the people are multiracial that identified themselves one way or the other before. So, but that, uh, and Marlon's population is now um, in total uh, 66,000, which was, uh, was below 60,000 10 years ago. So Marlon's population is up. Mm-hmm. But the diversity is even stronger now than it was 10 years ago. And uh, that, again, uh, I think offers out challenges not only in the school system but also as well in the, in, in the city council and, the, in the, and in the, right. at the governmental level. You know, one of the things I do notice is that on, on school committee, we have um, our school committee meetings are translated into several different languages. And I'd like to see that also, you know, continue. I've witnessed a few... Um, city council meetings, but I would love to see that also continue on to the city council um, because I think it's just really important. I think we as a community, we've always been multicultural and um, as well as, you know, multiple, multiple economic structures. But I really truly believe that we embrace our diversity and we need to make sure even in our schools that our teachers identify, that our teachers are who our students can identify with. I think that's very important, and I think as we, as I look through Ward 7, we need to bring, when I say bring community together, and when I say, like, on my slogan, every person counts, because for me, it's every single person counts. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your ethnic background is. Everyone's counted. Everybody has needs, and everybody should have the same opportunities, regardless of your economic status and regardless of who you, what culture you are. And I think that we need to embrace that. I think, I think that there's a real need, and everybody kind of sometimes throws around transparency a little bit, the term. And what I mean is, is that I think parent, people have a right to know where some of our budget money goes to. Why do certain programs happen? Where does that money come from? Why are we choosing to do one program over another? And it's really significant on, on how we're going to gear ourselves towards this multi diverse neighborhoods like how are we going to make everybody included how are we going to bring up equity how are we going to make them you know add the resources we need to bring some of these people forward and to make sure that they have what they need to be successful i see you have a drop card there do. what do you talk about in the drop card what do i talk about yeah and you, you go ahead i do i talk about you know what i've said you know Wood 7 needs places and programs to build our community. Um, we have some youth programs. We do offer some youth programs. Those need to be expanded. We need to expand, you know, what I did, what I spent some time doing during COVID. 
um, was I worked with different various service organizations. We have a great amount of service organizations in Malden. And the problem that I see is that we don't connect the dots. We don't connect these service organizations together to make sure they're not overlapping different things that are being done. And I think that's, that's significant. And I think as a, as a city, we need to really look at what requirements and what are the resources that our people need to survive. No. From housing, and that's what I mean, from housing to traffic to, client, to all of that. Yeah. Like, what do we need? Yeah. Now, the, there's been some discussions about not having MCAS as a, as a, as a kind of a right. comparison with a, a, a school's performances across the state. Is that is that something that's been finalized in any fashion as far as? Not yet. They're still, so they still requiring the MCAS? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I believe so. Yeah. Unless it's changed the, in the last hour. <laughs> What's that? So unless it's changed in the last couple of hours. No, I don't I think. Well, so, you know. uh, uh, there well, were some I, adjustments to it last year. There were some adjustments to MCATs, but yeah. nothing that I could yeah. really speak uh, Yeah, again, as we said earlier, it, it's been mm-hmm. a very difficult and a challenging, right. not only for the staffing or the, or the administrations right. in, in, in the, at the school programs, but also the, the students have gone through a very difficult year plus. Not only right. a, a year, but more than a year. Right. And, and some of that is also translated over to the city government because um, in some ways I think the Asian population of Malden as it is in other areas is almost invisible. The people come here from another country. They work hard to get to get ahead. Oftentimes there's a language barrier. They, they don't have an opportunity to be assimilated, but it's the next generation that's going to get that opportunity. Right. But that they're I don't think there's an, they have enough voices articulating their their situation because or their needs. They, it, it, it's right. politics isn't the kind of uh, a thing that they're, they're interested in. Right. They're only interested in, in, in getting ahead, taking care of their family, and uh, providing for the future. I think that they're very the the um, the different residents that I've talked to. They're absolutely interested. They want to know what's going on. They want to know what your position is. Is the Asian is. group? The Asian, absolutely. Good. All the different, all the different diverse communities, and they all want you know different things, and they all want similar things. You know, they want they all want safety. They all want to know where their money's going. They want to know where their taxes are going. They want to know that when you say you're going to do something, you're actually going to do it. And um, that's really important. It's really important. They want to know where jobs are coming from. We need to put we need to put Malden residents back to work. We need, you know, as the city does. In the post office. In the post office, <laughs> yes, in the post office. So with that said, you know, it, it's just imperative. It's so important. Yeah. It's so important that, you know, when we have city projects, we need to make it so Malden residents right. come back to work. Now, do you have a website? I do, michellelewong.com. Simple. Okay, Simple. so they can reach you there? Yes, they can. Well, anyway. Well, thank you for coming thank you. by, Michelle. Thank you very and, much. And the election is when? November 2nd. And that's a Tuesday, as it usually is. It is a Tuesday. It, but it's really in the week. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it'll be an interesting year in in Ward Seven, and it obviously will. it's a whatever happens November second has a big impact on the future. So absolutely, you're reminding them to vote for Michelle Luong in Ward Seven for City Council. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much, and uh, Thank you. for those people that. Um, I've seen the show today. I hope they'll remind them it will run again on Saturday and Sunday this weekend, 7 o'clock on Saturday and Sunday at 10. And thank you for listening, and I appreciate your attention. Mm-hmm.